Amen. Amen. Happy to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Well, it's a joy uh, to be with you guys this evening. And so if you have a Bible, let me go ahead and get you to turn to Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5 is where we're going to be in verses 18 through 21. So last week in our time together, we were in verses 1 through 17, uh, where we learned from our time, Christians imitate God by walking in love, walking in the light, and walking in wisdom. So that's what we dove into last week from Ephesians 5, 1 through 17. Tonight, we're going to be in 18 through 21. And so as you turn there, uh, let me go ahead and offer up another word of prayer. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for what you're already doing um, this evening. God, we have been singing songs of praise to you. We've been praying to you. We've been hearing your word read, Lord. Uh, And now it's time to hear your word preached. And as my sister Nikki already prayed, God, we pray, Lord, that you would be at the forefront. uh, that, um, That you would increase and that I would decrease. God, that you would be central, God, that as your word is proclaimed, that everyone under the sound of my voice will hear you, God, and as a result of hearing you, that they may obey you. And so, God, we pray that your word would do the work in all of our hearts this evening in every way that you see fit. And so, God, would you be glorified? Would you be magnified? And it's in your son Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. So Ephesians 5, verses 18 through 21 reads as follows. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is God's word. Amen? Amen. So if you're taking notes this evening, here's the main idea of our passage. It is this. Here's the main idea is that believers are to live spirit-filled lives in relationships. All right, so believers are to live spirit-filled lives in their relationships. And so we'll see this uh, in the next week or so as we, as we continue that theme, that thread of wives and husbands. But tonight we're here in verses 18 through 21, so we're going to be thinking about uh, spirit-filled living amongst relationships. So I only have one point, one point with two subpoints for us to help guide our time through the passage. And so that... One point is this, spirit-filled living in relationships. Spirit-filled living in relationships, verses 18 to 21. And the two subpoints are this, be filled with the Spirit, verse 18. And then, number two, the results of the Spirit or the effect of the Spirit, verses 19 through 21. So, spirit-filled living in relationships, be filled with the Spirit, the results of the Spirit. So, let's look at the... First point, the only point (laughs) this evening, 
be filled with the Spirit. Look back with me at verse 18. Here's what it reads. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. So as you've been with us, for those of you who have been with us during the time, um, we've been walking through Ephesians, uh, and in particular, uh, here in these last couple of weeks, Ephesians 5, 1 through 17, Ephesians 4, uh, you have seen that Paul has been highlighting the work of the Spirit in believers' lives throughout the book, right? You've seen him highlighting the work of the Spirit in the believer's life. Uh, We have been saved by the Son, and we have been sealed by the Spirit. So that's chapter 1, verse 13, that we saw many, many months ago. And then chapter 4, verse 30. And then also in chapter 4, verse 30, we are not to grieve the Holy Spirit with our sin, right? And as a result of being filled with the Spirit, our lives have been changed. Our lives have been transformed. We've been changed. We don't live the same lives we once lived before we knew Christ, before we received his Spirit, right? We saw this in Ephesians 2 many months ago. And then more recently in Ephesians 4 and and 5. So in Ephesians 4, we saw in the beginning a few verses, unity and maturity in Christ. And then later in chapter 4, a life of righteousness and holiness are fruit of the Spirit in a believer's life. And so I'll say that again. Unity, we saw that. Maturity in Christ. And then a life of righteousness and holiness are the fruit of the Spirit at work in a believer's life. So last week in Ephesians 5, we learned that we are to imitate God by walking in love, walking in the light, and walking in wisdom. And so I ask, is any of that possible apart from God's Spirit? No. None of it. None of it's it's possible apart from God's Spirit. So when we come to verse 18, Coming off the cuff of verse 17 from last week, after God's word tells us there to walk in wisdom, we see Paul give us two commands here in this verse, in verse 18. He gives us two commands, so here's the first, and it's do not get drunk with wine, right? And then the second is this, but be filled with the Spirit. But be filled with the Spirit. So you connect what we learned last week in our time together particularly verse 17 with walking in wisdom, and you will see that being drunk or being intoxicated with anything is unwise in general, but for the believer, as we see in this text, right? You see in verse 17, if you keep following that thread, as we looked at last week, what does it say? Verse 15, excuse me, uh, through 17, uh, but it says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but wise making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So we spent some time last week really diving deeper into that. But if you think about that, think about what verse 18 is telling us, do not get drunk with wine. And you connect that with walking in wisdom as we have been called to do as believers. You'll see that being drunk, drunkenness, or intoxicated, or anything along those lines with anything else is unwise for us, for for us as believers and and, in general. So believers, it is never God's will for you and I to get drunk. It's never God's will 
for you and I to get drunk. That's a sin, right? Think about what it does to you, right? It leads to other sins. Drunkenness leads to other sins. I mean, some people, you know, have, have robbed, have, have stolen, have killed as a result of being intoxicated, being drunk, right? It makes you not think clearly, uh, make you unwise in your dealings or in your decisions. And then also after I was just looking at it again, just Googling it, just thinking about it, it's not good for your health. <laughs> it's not good for your health. Some of the things that are listed uh, as a result of, uh, of, of a continual life of drunkenness leads to high blood pressure, lead to stroke, lead to liver disease, lead to cancer. And these are just to name a few of those things. So it's unwise, right, to, to get drunk. You see that word debauchery there? That word debauchery refers to reckless living. So that's what that word means. It refers to a life of recklessness, reckless living. So you think about that. You lose self-control when you're drunk, right? You, you lose self-control when you're drunk. But in contrast to the Spirit, to the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit is self-control, right? And as believers... We are supposed to be a self-controlled people as we seek to exhibit the fruit of the Spirit, as self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. So one translation says this. It says, don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. It will ruin your life. So an application in thinking about, yeah, our community, right, that God has graciously allowed us to, to be a part of and to be serving with. And I don't want to take it lightly. Me communicating about this is in no way speaking to downplay addiction, right? Addiction is a beast. Addiction, you know, drunkenness, I mean, just all these different things. Like It is a beast. And I speak as one who used to drink and do other drugs and sell drugs. So speaking from experience in some ways, but then you think about liquor stores on every corner, right? Uh, and the easy accessibility to drugs and alcohol, like that in and of itself doesn't help. So as a result of drinking or doing particular drugs and different things along those lines, People, sadly, ruin their lives and ruin others' lives in the process. I mean, I'm sure if, 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 if I were just to ask you all to speak about maybe some of the people you know in the community or either, either in your family or friends or whomever you might know, I'm sure there's a list of names that we could write out and say, man, like, I knew this person, you know, um, yeah, they, they were, you know, sadly, you know, drinking all the time or doing particular drugs and this, that, and the third. And, man, this is what it did to their life. Or this is what it did to those who were close to them. And so, and even, even for you, maybe, what it did to you, what it had an effect on you after seeing that. I mean, the, the trauma, the pain, the hurt, 
whatever that might be, all of those different myriad of emotions, I'm sure. And that's tough, right? That's tough. It's sad. It's unfortunate. People need to know that there is someone better that is willing to fill them forever with the high that they'll never come down from. That's God. Amen? It's God. Which then leads to that second command, be filled with the Spirit. So don't be drunk with wine. Don't fill yourself with wine or anything along those lines. Be filled with the Spirit. So you followed the theme of this passage already. A person who is drunk is under the influence of alcohol. And a person who is filled with the Spirit is under the influence and power of the Spirit. Right? This verse is not referring to a second indwelling of the Spirit or a deeper or higher life, but the normal Christian life. The normal Christian life. You might be like, well, what do you mean normal Christian life? Normal Christian life meaning when someone is saved, that person is already filled with the Spirit at conversion. They have received the Spirit. They've received the Spirit at conversion. Think about with me Jesus' promise uh, in John's gospel uh, of sending the Spirit. Here's what he says in John 14. He says, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you you. So that's John 14, 16 through 17. So, so at conversion, once someone receives Christ through salvation, believe upon the gospel, right then and there, indwell with the Holy Spirit, given the Holy Spirit. Then this same spirit indwells the believer forever. And so twice in Ephesians, we see that the spirit seals the believer, right? So we looked at this many, many months ago, but Ephesians 1.13, it says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were what? Sealed. Sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. You even see all of that at work in that verse, right? You, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, that word of truth being the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. And then Ephesians 4, verse 30, it says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So, filled with the Spirit, sealed with the Spirit at conversion if you are a believer. But then on the flip side, although the Spirit resides in us believers now, right, and he has sealed us to the day of redemption. We constantly need to be filled with the Spirit, right, in some sense, right? There is a sense of it where we need to be filled with the Spirit. I love how Pastor Tony Marita comments on this. He says, while the Holy Spirit indwells believers forever, we are sealed, we need constant filling. Why? Because no one lives a life of constant joy and thanksgiving and love. We need the Spirit. 
So my, my wife is homeschooling LJ and she's killing it too, doing a doing a phenomenal job homeschooling him. And during their time in the word, they've been uh, looking at the fruit of the spirit. And so they've been looking at Galatians 5, 22-23, and LJ has been memorizing uh, that verse and among other verses, and it's just been really sweet as I'm working from home or just in general, just hearing him uh, reciting those verses and other passages is really, really sweet. But so Galatians 5, 22-23 says this, it says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such things there is no law so when you think about how you navigate relationally with your family or with your friends or with your church family or your co-workers or your neighbors the list can go on and on and on do you exhibit do i exhibit this type of fruit all the time no i know i don't so we need God's spirit to help us. We need him to fill us, to help us exhibit his fruit. So we need God's spirit to help us live spirit-filled lives daily. So if you don't know the Lord and you are trying to fill yourself with whatever it is, you're trying to Feel a void that only God can fill. That 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 God, you're, you're trying to fill uh, that void of, you know, hopelessness, or you're trying to fill that void. You you you're you're longing to be loved or to to have a relationship with someone who, yeah, so so like friends or whomever it might be, family members. And you're, you're longing for a relationship that is perfect, that only God can provide, that only God can really give you that relationship that you are really longing for and needing and needing to fill that void. I want to tell you that through the gospel, only Jesus can fill that void. Only, only through Christ and through relationship with him can that void be filled? A relationship that will be everlasting. A relationship that won't be shaken or taken or broken in Christ because of what he has done through living a perfect sinless life, dying a death that you and I deserved on the cross for our sins, being buried and being resurrected on the third day, offering salvation to all who would repent, to turn away from sin, to turn away from trying to fill your life, whether that's alcohol or whether that's uh, whatever it might be, filling yourself, uh, trying to fill that void where only Jesus can fill that void. He was buried and he was resurrected from the dead so that you could be granted eternal life. Repent of those things, turn away from those things, turn to him in faith, in trust, only in what he has done. And the Bible says you'll be saved. That's good news. But for those of you all who are Christians here, well, one, the gospel is for you and me too. So we need to be reminded that we too can also 
struggle with trying to fill our lives with things, trying to fill our, our minds, our hearts, whatever the case may be, with, with things that, that, yeah, only God can actually grant you. The joy that you're longing for, the hope that you're longing for, the peace that you're longing for. So through the gospel, we know that to be true, but we continue to know that to be true as we believe, as we feast upon that good news on a daily basis and, and being reminded that, yeah, you have been filled with the Spirit and that you are continuously being filled with the Spirit. I mean, just think about it for a second. I mean, even as we looked at, or well, I just briefly read, you know, the fruit of the Spirit, just thinking about relationships, right? You think about, uh, yeah, maybe for you coming, coming here, right, to church, maybe, maybe there was something that frustrated you, right, as you were coming to church, or, or maybe, maybe uh, an argument or something with a family member or a spouse, or whatever the case may be. I mean, just even thinking about exhibiting the fruit of the Spirit, we need God's help. <laughs> we need God's help when we're coming to church and when we're leaving church and while we're in church and when we go on our daily dealings throughout the week. We need God's help and we need him to fill us. Maybe some of us are uh, busy filling ourselves with Netflix, right? Filling ourselves with Netflix or video games or whatever it might be, filling ourselves with the things that don't provide. They're okay. They're not bad things, per se, right? Some of these things. But what we are longing for, what our soul really needs is to be filled with God. And so I want to encourage you, Christian, if that's you, to seek to fill yourself, to, to be filled by the Spirit. Amen? So that we might, and, and, and guess, what this, guess what the Spirit does? The Spirit makes you more like Jesus. He makes you, he conforms you more and more into the image of the Son. So the more we are filled by the Spirit, the more we look like his Son. The more we look like Jesus. And so we want to look like the Father's Son, Jesus. Amen? Amen. So be filled with the Spirit, which leads to the last subpoint, the results of the Spirit or effects of the Spirit. So that's verses 19 through 21. So Paul, after commanding us to be filled with the Spirit, he then shares what that looks like in relationships, right? So he shares the results or the effects of the Spirit's indwelling and work in a believer's life. Look back with me at verses 19 through 21. Here's what it reads. It says, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God, the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So twice in this passage, in verses 19 to 21, uh, you see that phrase, one another, right? You see it in verse 19. And you see it in verse 21. You probably see now where I got my main idea for this sermon from. Believers are to live spirit-filled lives in relationships. And it's based on that one another. Us, one another. 
So as spirit-filled people, the spirit has an effect on our relationships, on the way we do life with one another. And so three ways from this passage that the spirit affects our relationships with one another. So here are those three ways. He makes us, one, a singing people. So then A and B, A to one another, B to the Lord. So a singing people, and then two supplements on that, to one another and then to the Lord. Two, makes us a thankful people, right? Makes us a thankful people. And then three, he makes us a submitting people, a submitting people. So let's look at these very briefly. So one, a singing people. So God is too good and too great for us to be quiet about it. Amen? He's too good. He's too great. He's too gracious for us to be quiet about it. I mean, we are to think, right? So we are to think and we are to speak on his goodness and greatness. So we're, we're to do that. We're to think, we're to ponder, we're to communicate about his goodness and his greatness. But then guess what? We are to also feel it. We are to feel it and rejoice because of it, right? Therefore, we sing to one another. We sing to one another. See that in the text? It says, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Now, scholars debate on what the three songs mentioned here refer to. So one of them says this. One of the scholars says it is difficult to know exactly what Paul meant by the three types of songs in Ephesians. He says that we should sing psalms, so from the Psalter, uh, hymns, perhaps like those in Revelation 4 through 5, and some spiritual songs, perhaps spontaneous praise from the heart like 1 Corinthians 14, 15 implies. He continues to say, I think the reason for these different types of songs may be that God is infinitely varied in his beauty, and he meets us in various ways. Right? So these are there are different, excuse me, there are different seasons of life and different songs for the season. I remember in some hard seasons uh, of my family's life, uh, we had different albums that got us through them. Yeah, we, we, we meditated on the Word, we read Scripture, we prayed, but then there, you know what I'm talking about, like some songs, some albums that, as this quote even says, there are different seasons of life and different songs for the seasons, right? This, this was a song or this was an album, a soundtrack for the season for us, if you will. And two of those that I'll mention is, is one, Empires by Hillsong. I don't know if you ever heard that album, Hillsong, uh, Empires for us at, at just a hard time in our life many, many years ago. Um, Hillsong, Empires was one of those albums. And then How Can It Be? Uh, Lauren Daigle was another one uh, that the Lord just used to minister to us, to encourage us. And I'm sure you all may have some of those songs too, some of those albums as well, that in the rough seasons, in the tough times that you have listened to and the Lord just uses to minister to you, to encourage you, to, to, yeah, to lift your eyes to Christ. Amen? But I love how Paul highlights the one another here. Did you know that when you come to a gathering like this, this evening, 
that when you sing, you're not only ministering to yourself, but you're ministering to one another? Did you, did you, did you know that? That when you are singing, that you are, yeah, you, and even as the text says, we are singing to the Lord. We're also singing to one another, ministering the good news to one another in song. And as we sing our lungs out, as we praise Jesus, that, that the Lord can use that even to encourage one another. As we hear one another singing the, the word to one another. And then, as the text says, our main audience, though, is to be the Lord himself. Right? It says at the end of that, it says, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Now, for some of us, I know we're glad that this text says uh, singing and making the melody uh, to the Lord, not, not, <laughs> not you know, maybe using some instrumentation or something, maybe, maybe not with our vocal cords, right? We may not have the voice, but that's okay. But we are going to sing praises to God, right? No matter. I'm, I'm talking about myself here. <laughs> I, you know, yeah, I, I rap, but I, you know, can't, I can't hit the high notes like our sisters and others, you know what I mean? I can't, I leave that. But, but we are still making a song, a melody to our Lord as he is our main audience. So when we come together, we're coming to sing praises to him and to one another, but at the end of the day, at the end of it all, Jesus is our main audience, audience of one. So we sing to, to praise him. That's why we're gathered, not to praise one another, not to, not to applaud one another, if you will, but to, in unison, applaud God's great grace in our lives on a daily basis, being reminded of the gospel and what God has done in and through the gospel, past tense, but what he's doing in and through the gospel, present tense, and being reminded of that. And when we sing, we're singing praises unto him. He is our main audience, and we sing as those, and we serve as those, and we lead as those who are not seeking the approval of people, right? Because we've already been approved by God. And so we, we sing to we sing in light of and in motivation from us being approved by God. Amen? Amen. So number two, a thankful people. So number two, a thankful people. It says here in verse 20, it says, giving uh, thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we talked about this a couple of weeks ago during the Thanksgiving weekend uh, but, but here's another example in Scripture where believers are called to be thankful. So are you known or am I known for consistent thanksgiving? Or are you known for complaining, grumbling, and pouting? I'll ask the question again. Are we known, are you, am I known for consistent thanksgiving or consistent complaining, grumbling, or pouting. 
Thanksgiving is the will of God for us Christians. We are to be a thankful people. We saw this when we looked at this during the Thanksgiving weekend, but even uh, highlighting this verse again uh, from 1 Thessalonians 5.18, it says, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you, for me. This is the will of God. And if you're a Christian, I'm 100% sure that even in the darkest days, even in the most challenging days, even in the most painful days, confusing days, with everything that's happening, when you're feeling it from every which way, I'm 100% sure that you can still find something to be thankful for. I'm 100% sure. And you may have to fight, but I'm still sure that you can find something, one, that you are beloved by God you have breath in your body, and the list can go on and on and on. But I'm 100% sure that you could find something to be thankful for. And then lastly, three, a submitting people. We are to be a submitting people. Verse 21, it says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So before we get to submitting in marriage or a parental or, or a vocational sense, you see that Paul points out that we should submit to one another in the church, right? Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. There are many examples in Scripture where we are told to submit. Just a few of those, just to name. So James 4, 7 says, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And so here's an example of submitting in the scriptures, so submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Uh, Hebrews 13, 17, it says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. So that's Hebrews 13, 17. Uh, and then uh, we'll see this in the coming weeks, but Ephesians 5, 22 and 24 is, it says wives are to submit to their husbands as to the Lord. And the church, in verse 24, it says 22, and then 24, it says, and the church is to submit to Christ, right? So submitting, we are to be a submitting people, right? But in this verse, Paul points out that every believer in a church is to submit to one another. It's interesting, isn't it? So then what does it mean to submit? What does it mean to submit? One definition, as one scholar puts it, he says, the word submit means to arrange under. So to arrange under. It was used in the military to refer to the subordination of soldiers in an army uh, to those of superior rank. Good soldiers surrender control. They turn loose of their selfish agendas and live in submission and for the good of others. So it is with the Christian. So, is that you this evening, Christian? Is that me? Are we ridding ourselves of our selfish agendas, living in submission, and doing it, guess what, for the good of one another? Doing it for the good of others? Is that true of us? May it be, may it be so. 
that it is true of us and that we would say that it's true of us. Now keep the motive. Keep the motive of this submission. Is that we submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's the motivation. That's the why we are submitting to one another. We're submitting to one another out of, as the text says, out of reverence for Christ, out of a healthy fear for Jesus. So we then we submit to others ultimately because Christ has authority over our lives. We submit to one another because Christ ultimately has authority over our lives. This doesn't mean we uh, live in fear or terror of the Lord per se, as if he was like the boogeyman or something along those lines, that we live in fear or terror, if you will. But there is a sense in which we should revere him because he is God, creator of all things, holy, good, and yeah, he's God. <laughs> and so we should have a healthy fear because he is the Lord. And because he is the Lord, we submit to him and we stand in awe of who he is and what he has done. So there, there should be a sense of, we talked about this even last week, but when we think about, um, yeah, when we think about our sin, where the word tells us in verse three, we talked about this more in detail last week. So I'm just going to kind of hover over it real quick here, but it says, but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. Um, and so when we think about for the believer, what God has, has done with our sin in that he has taken our sin, right? And he's given us his righteousness, right? He's declared us righteousness. He took all our filth, all our guilt, all our shame as we have trusted in him for salvation. And as we are now believers seeking to live a holy life, there is an element in it where, as this text tells us, as we looked at last week, that we should have a healthy fear when it comes to sin in the church as believers, meaning, as this text says, that it shouldn't even be named among you as is proper among the saints. So when we think about whatever, like these particular sins that is listed and just sin in general, that these things shouldn't even be named among you, that, that we don't even go there. Like that right there, those particular things, it's like that. It's like when you are walking by somebody's house and, you know, it says, beware, <laughs> like there's a dog or whatever, there's danger. Like you don't even want to go near that. Like those things shouldn't even be named among you. Why? Because of God. Because of who he is and that he's holy. And that he has saved you for holiness. To live a life that's pure and acceptable and pleasing in him. We don't do that in our own strength. We do that because of Christ, and we do that because of God's spirit indwelling us and helping us and keeping us and maturing us and sanctifying us. But what I'm getting at is that 
And even, he even says this later on in the passage. He says that the things that they do, like you wouldn't even want to speak about those things. Like you wouldn't even want to talk about that. Like these things should not even be among us. And so in some sense, because of who God is, because of what he has done in our lives, there should be a healthy fear in the sense that we revere him because of who he is and because of what he's done, that we don't go chasing after the filth, that we don't go chasing after what he has saved us from, and that we revere him because of his holiness, because of his goodness. And so maybe may we have a healthy fear because of who he is, Right? You think about Isaiah. Right? He he was he was in awe of God's presence. You think about Acts 2. The believers, the first church, they were in awe of God. You think about even in, in the book of Acts when when something happened, sin related, and God took him out. And the believers were then in awe of what God did and who he is. And so for us Christians, once again, yeah, we're not, we're not fearing God in the sense of like, like he's a boogeyman and he's going to wreak terror in our lives. But at the same time, we should have a healthy fear and revere him because he's God. And he's holy. And there's no one like him. Amen. So as we close, family, may we live spirit-filled lives in our relationships towards one another as a church, but then as we engage others throughout this week in our workplaces, our family members, our friends, our neighbors right next door to us, whomever it might be, may we seek to live spirit-filled lives. Let's pray together. Father, we ask that you would do only what you can do, and that is help us. Uh, we need your help. None of what we talked about this evening is possible apart from your spirit working in us. And so, God, we thank you for your spirit who has indwelled us as believers and who, um, who helps us, who sanctifies us, who makes us more, conforms us more and more into the image of your son. And so, Lord, we ask this evening, now, God, that you would please help us to exhibit the fruit of the Spirit. Make us more of a gentle people. Make us more of a patient people. Make us more of a loving people. Do this all, Lord, and ultimately make us more of a holy people. We want to be more holy, God. We want to live lives that please you, that are living in a healthy fear of you, because you're God. 
and you're in a league of your own, and you're good, and you're gracious, and you're kind towards us. And so please motivate us to do all of that, God. Please help us not to start thinking of what we can do, uh, but help us to receive your grace and your mercy as motivation to allow us to live lives of holiness, righteousness. May your gospel be the motivation by which we live these lives. And so, Lord, even as we uh, turn to the table here in just a, a few moments, Lord, we pray that you would bless it and bless our time as we remember your death on the cross for our sins your resurrection, proving that the sacrifice was accepted and offers life, eternal life as a result of it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So family, at this time, let's turn our attention.